Hello, and welcome to another podcast brought to you by the Secretariat of Child and Youth Protection at the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. I'm Melanie Takanen, the Associate Director for the Secretariat, and joined with me today is Mike Hoffman from the Archdiocese of Chicago. And Mike Hoffman is a co-founder and co-editor of the Healing Voices magazine, a dedicated group of survivors abused by clergy who seek to bring healing and reconciliation for fellow survivors, families, and others within the church. Mike is also the current president of the Board of Directors for Prevent Child Abuse Illinois, an agency actively involved in the prevention in prevention education and public awareness and community outreach all across the state of Illinois. He has also been very active with the Archdiocese of Chicago in public outreach efforts for both healing and prevention. So, Mike, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Melanie. So can we just start off a little bit, uh, Mike, can you just share us, uh, share with us a little bit about your background and how you ended up being where you are today? Sure. Uh, thank you for inviting me to this podcast, and, and I hope it's informative to the listeners. Um, by way of a brief introduction, uh, I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse by clergy. I am 54 years old. Uh, my wife and I recently celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Time. It was a big, big deal for us. <laughs> and uh, we have two beautiful children. Uh, I remain an active Catholic despite the abuse that I endured when I was a little boy. Uh, my wife and I are parishioners of St. Mary of the Woods Parish in Chicago, and we raise our children Catholic and we send our kids to Catholic schools. That's great. Well, again, thank you for, for speaking with us. And the, the theme for today, is, as you mentioned, Mike, is really going to be a little bit about why, why remain Catholic today. There's so much going on within the Church, so much that has happened in the past even 20 years, but kind of getting a, a fresh wave of things that began in, in 2018 as well. Um, so if I could, I'd like to hear a little bit more uh, from your perspective, particularly with experiencing abuse yourself as a survivor. Mm -hmm. Now, some people may wonder why anyone who experienced the evil of abuse would want to stay in the Church and choose to remain a practicing Catholic. Now, if I can ask you, why do you stay? Uh, well, thank you for asking. I, I, I can answer that question uh, in two parts. Um, my abuser stole away uh, the innocence of my youth. He disrupted my family relationships, and he left me with anguish and heartache, emotional devastation, and many, many painful memories. Mm -hmm. But I would not allow him to take away my faith. Also, I want to draw attention uh, to my parents and how they raised me. Mm -hmm. It's my way to honor my father and my mother. They raised me Catholic. Mm -hmm. And um, they were active parishioners at the Church of St. Mary in Lake Forest. My mother was a Eucharistic minister and involved in the youth ministry program. My father was a lector and he sat on the parish council for many, many years. Both my brother and I were altar boys. And so I'd like to ask your listeners if you, if you can, and I know it's a big ask, mm -hmm. but if you could put the abuse issue on the shelf for just a moment and think about our life in our parish as I was growing up, it was almost a near perfect life if you can put that abuse on the shelf for a minute. Mm -hmm. All of my parents' social structures were their friends from the Church of St. Mary's. Mm -hmm. 
All of our uh, activities and the parties we went to and our friends were friends from the Church of St. Mary's. Mm -hmm. And so recently I returned to the Church of St. Mary with my pastor from St. Mary of the Woods. Mm -hmm. I did that to reconcile myself to how we, who we were and how we were back at that time. And we met Father Michael McGovern, who was the pastor of St. Mary's in Lake Forest at the time. And I was welcomed there with open arms as a, as a returning uh, parishioner who grew up there. Mm-hmm. And I was able to sit with Father McGovern and tell him my story of abuse in that rectory. Wow. When I was, I'm obviously older, and I'm recalling the abuse from now, at that point, it'd be 45 years earlier. And Father McGovern listened to me, and he heard the depth of my sadness Mm -hmm. and my pain, and he thanked me for telling him the story of abuse. Mm -hmm. And he said something that I'll never forget. He said, "The, the abuse of a child cuts so close to the heart and soul of that child, but it also cuts so close to the heart and soul of all the good and faithful priests. Yes. And Father McGovern's words have gone a long way uh, for helping me reconcile this pain and anguish in my life. And I appreciate Father McGovern. Mm -hmm. And and what he did, he took a risk in wanting to talk to me. And I, I would remind your readers that the priests, if, if you can trust your priest on this issue, uh, they'll be good partners in, in talking with them, with you. And so I wanted to share that story. Now, as I'm an older man, and we've raised our children Catholic, and we are parishioners now at our parish of St. Mary of the Woods, I am a lector, mm-hmm. and my wife works at the school, and we attend virtually every fundraising event. And we were very involved at the school. In fact, I was, it's one of the worst jobs on campus. I was the president of the athletic board. Uh And that's, you know, where all the parents think that their children are going to go to the Olympics. And (laughs) um, I had to take care of all that. But I I accepted that role. And um, we were very involved at our Church of St. Mary's, uh, I'm sorry, uh, St. Mary of the Woods right now. And so Father McGovern was able to say, listen, you're experiencing right now what, you, what your parents were wanting to experience if you factor in that abuse now that, that was a struggle for me and a difficult memory for me, but I'm now mm-hmm. experiencing that those good parish, those good things that happen in a parish yeah. of, of being in a faith community that I would never give up. Mm-hmm. And even if I was abused or not abused, I would never give that up. And so um, I wanted to share that story with the readers. And, and, you know, despite the abuse that I did endure at the hands of a Catholic priest, I consider myself to be blessed and blessed and blessed beyond all measure. And I consider it, it to happen with God's grace. But I am grateful to be Catholic. Thank you for sharing that part of your story. 
So it, it sounds like kind of going back to, to what you mentioned with your childhood, that really your, your life was around the church, and there were so many other positives that happened. Yeah. Yes, that's true. And yes, obviously, this, the sexual abuse is a, it's an evil that never should have happened in the first place. But it's almost like what I hear from you saying is that you took control of your faith. And you're not letting anyone take that from you. No one's going to take that from me. And I call it my Catholic identity or my Catholic heritage. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't know what to do if I wasn't Catholic. And so I I remain here and um, and we're we're going to heal from these wounds of abuse. Absolutely. And it sounds like a big part in that for you was also uh, going back to your parish and speaking with your parish priest. Yes. I would ask anybody who is angered by the recent revelations or the past revelations of abuse, mm-hmm. I, would, I would invite you to talk to your priest. And I would, I would ask you before we jump, don't talk to the priest in the parking lot after Mass or in the narthex of your church after, after services are over, as you're shaking hands as you're leaving. That's not the time to talk to the priest. When there's 30 things they need to be doing yes. at the same time. <laughs> you need to make an appointment with your priest mm-hmm. and go to that appointment and talk to your pastor, talk to your associate pastor, talk to your priest, and tell him what happened and tell mm-hmm. him how you feel. Mm-hmm. I think you'll be better off. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know there are times when what we hear from priests is that sometimes they're not sure of what they can say or what they should say or what they shouldn't say. But I think the important thing is that really they're just available and that they're willing to listen. They are totally available. And I'm going to tell you a story. When I told my parish priest, Father Greg Sackowitz, mm-hmm. my story of childhood sexual abuse, and I have to tell you, since we're active at our parish and I have a good relationship with Father Greg, I... I didn't know how this was going to go. I thought, mm-hmm. boy, if I spoke with Father Greg, maybe he would think that I was attacking him or questioning his ministry or questioning his good character, which, of course, I, I was not doing. So I was anxious about telling my current priest that I was sexually abused as a little boy by my Catholic priest at the time. Mm-hmm. And I hope, I hope the listeners can understand that there's some anxiety in that. Absolutely. But I did follow through with that appointment, and I encourage everybody to follow through with that appointment and meet your priests and tell them your story. Mm-hmm. I was able to tell him my story, and Father Greg listened to me, and he heard me, and he heard the depths of my sadness and my sorrow. And because that conversation went so well, I was able to continue to practice, uh, to attend liturgy every Sunday with an open heart. And also because that conversation went so well, soon after that particular conversation, I felt comfortable enough to reach out to the Archdiocese of Chicago Mm -hmm. and tell them my story of childhood abuse. Mm -hmm. I would encourage anybody to speak with your priest. Absolutely. So what would you tell a Catholic who is is angry at what some within the church have done, um, particularly with sexual abuse issue, so much so that they've stopped attending Mass? Well, before you stop attending Mass, I would meet with your priest, frankly, Mm -hmm. just like I did. And if I can do it, I know the listeners can do it. And talk to them about your sadness and your pain. You know, Mm -hmm. do that first. Have the faith and trust in each other first before you decide to stop going to church. I would Mm -hmm. say to do that. 
It's a, a, another way I think to look at it, at least of what I've envisioned, is like a family, right? If you have a disagreement yeah. with somebody in your family, or you think, well, they did something terrible, it's whatever the case may be, it's you just stop talking to them, as opposed to you know to go up to them and say, hey, can you tell me what you're doing about this or what's happened? It's true. It, it's a rather serious disagreement in the oh, family. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't so, mean to make light no, of it. You're right, but. and it's hard. And and I understand there. To label one's emotions is very hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the priest has to label his emotions, and the parishioner yeah. has to label his or her emotions. And these are really hard subjects, but I encourage you to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. I think you'll feel better. At least you've had your voice, and the, the priest can say what he wants to say, and I would trust that process. And mm-hmm. for me, it worked out well, and if it worked out well for me, I think it would work out well for you. Absolutely. And everybody's on their own journey with this, right? So even if I think somebody steps away now, Jesus is still going to be in their heart. Well, of course. Of course. So a lot of people have compared uh, where the church was in 2018 and even into 2019 to where it was back in 2002. So in your view, Mike, what do you think's changed and what still needs to change? Well, thank you for asking. This this is a a difficult question. You know, the, Mm -hmm. the McCarrick story... Um, rattled me individually and rattled the whole U.S. church, I believe. Absolutely. And so one of the positive results of that McCarrick story has been something that I've been involved in here in this past year, here locally in the Archdiocese of Chicago. And I know this has been going on throughout the U.S. church. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any other word for it but, but to call it the listening sessions. Yes. There have been a variety of listening sessions here, and I know everywhere. And I have personally participated in three listening sessions, as well as one very unique listening session, so four, um, at St. Ignatius College Prep with a bunch of concerned young adults. Those high school kids had some concerns, and one of the priests reached out to me, and I was able to participate in that listening session. So what... What has changed are those listening sessions, I think, Mm -hmm. has changed. Mm -hmm. And I've participated in those four. And I I didn't know what to expect when I walked into my first one. And and I walked out of there thinking, gosh, everybody here was really energized, wanting to be here. Mm -hmm. To express yourself, to want to learn more, to want to hear from leadership, to want to hear from survivors, to want to learn about the outreach efforts that are successful, to want to learn what's going on. You know, we're here in Chicago. Sometimes the weather is bad. You've got to go out in bad weather. you got to mm-hmm. want to go out. So people mm-hmm. were, who showed up really wanted to be there, and I appreciate that. I think that are, is the regular Sunday Catholic wanting to fix this, yeah. wanting to find a way and wanting to heal. Mm-hmm. Maybe nobody knows how exactly to do that, mm-hmm. but these listening sessions are a great way to start. And I know there's been several here locally. I've only participated in those four, but I found everybody so so faithful and, and wanting a better church. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I want the same. Let's go do this together. Absolutely. And so I think that's what has changed, that there's more kind of grassroots ownership of this issue at the at the local level. Mm-hmm. And that kind of is appeals to my particular personality. 
I like to build things up from the grassroots and have it bubble up to upstairs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there are some of our fellow fellow faith communicants who feel everything comes from the top down. Mm-hmm. And I like top down. There's no question. But sometimes things can bubble up because we are the church here at the local level, too. And it can bubble up at the grassroots and we can get our own local bishop uh, involved. And I would encourage anybody to do that. Absolutely. And, so. and I think that's been a trend, like you said, that this grassroots movement. Yeah. I know from our level, we've kind of hearing a little bit, you know, in different regions around the U.S. about, OK, there's a lay group that's over in North Carolina. There's one in Buffalo. There's one um, in Virginia outside, right outside of D.C. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're is, searching for change. Exactly. Trying hard mm-hmm. and making it a better church for all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think it's wonderful. Absolutely. And we hear Pope Francis talking all the time about how the laity can get more involved. Perfect example. This is the perfect example. So I think that has been the direct change related to this past year. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are your hopes for the future of the church in terms of continue to bringing additional healing to other survivors and others affected by abuse? Well, I have hopes. And I'd like to share a personal story that um, um, we can heal within the family. Yeah. And um, the family relationships are, are disrupted very, very severely. Mm-hmm. And so the abuser does harm to the child, but the abuser does so much harm to the regular, holy, sacred family relationships. Yeah. And uh, I've been on a personal quest throughout my life to um, restore those family relationships within my own personal family. And I would hope Mm -hmm. and pray for restoration of those family relationships for any and all abuse survivors and their family members. Even sibling to sibling that maybe weren't abused, but because the child who was abused, it it changes the whole family dynamic. It really does. And restoring that holy and sacred family bonds um, is vitally important to me. Mm-hmm. And those are those are the hopes that I would uh, want for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so often when people think about uh, abuse and survivors, it's focused on the survivor as it should be. Yes. But abuse never impacts just one person. No, it's, of course not. It's the entire family. It's the community. You know, I am the abuse survivor and I have received services uh, from the Office of Assistance Ministry here in the Archdiocese of Chicago, and it's been, it's I've accepted virtually every possible service, mm-hmm. and all of that is great, mm-hmm. and all of that has helped me to have a greater chance at living a happier and healthier life. Mm-hmm. The parents are devastated. Yeah, the sibling relationships are changed, and those that has to be restored. And efforts at that restoration are ongoing and, mm-hmm. and should be a focus. There obviously is focus on the individual survivors, but the whole family has to be restored. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if we can restore individual families, then our church family can then become restored. And those, so those are my ultimate hopes. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you, yeah. So those of you listening, if you don't have any additional resources, maybe for families in that direction, this could definitely be something worth, that that you really should look into to see what else else could you do for families to help bring some of that healing. 
I think individual um, parish efforts, uh, reaching out to families, mm-hmm. uh, parents and siblings. Of uh, I, I met two folks just over the weekend who identified themselves to me as their brothers were abused when they were younger. And beyond simply telling the story, they should receive services. They should receive yeah. outreach. They should receive compassion and care. And in many cases, if they can identify themselves and say that they need help, then they will receive that care. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, definitely part of the looking at it from all sides as far as preventing this from happening again to, to anybody else within the church. What are your hopes in the future as far as for prevention within the church? Well, prevention in the church I can speak um, about because my children uh, attend Catholic schools. Mm -hmm. And we had to attend the Virtus uh, training and the Protecting God's Children classes. And I'm an abuse survivor, and I had to uh, participate in the class as well. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was excellent. And I, I can speak to the culture change that is present on the Catholic grade school or high school campus of openness to protecting all of God's children, Mm -hmm. of parents and principals and teachers and priests as well speaking up and speaking out for the protection of God's children. And I have seen that with my own children going through Catholic schools. I've participated at our parish level, Mm -hmm. and I can speak to that. Additionally, here in the Archdiocese of Chicago, uh, we have sponsored the annual prayer service and pinwheel planting event each year held at the Healing Garden Mm -hmm. uh, of the Archdiocese. And I want to tell, to answer your question, I want to tell a brief story about one year, it was a a few years ago now, when Sister Mary Paul McCaughey uh, helped participate in this prayer service. Mm -hmm. So if I'm asking your listeners to think about this for a moment, here are approximately 200 Catholic school children uh, coming to an event surrounded by parents and principals and teachers and priests and all concerned Mm -hmm. with their safety. And we have a prayer service. Uh, That's the main focus is the prayer service. So one kind of a, a method to to help get us get the conversation started is we talk about the pinwheel mm-hmm. and the pinwheel is the national symbol of child abuse prevention efforts. And all of the kids love to get a pinwheel related to that conversation. Sister Mary Paul took the microphone and here is this beautiful nun speaking on behalf. So our spiritual mother mm-hmm. speaking on behalf of care and compassion and concern for all of God's children. It was, it was one of the finest expressions of dignity for all children and integrity in how adults should deal with all children and how Jesus wants you to be protected. And we're all here for your safety and your benefit. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to, as a clergy abuse survivor, I got to watch this thing going on. Yeah. Seeing Sister Mary Paul, our spiritual, one of our, our beautiful spiritual mother, reaching out with open arms for the care and compassion of all children. Mm-hmm. That kind of public outreach effort is, is successful. And I'm an advocate for that kind of public outreach. And I'd like the, your listeners to become advocates for that kind of public outreach because that's 
a personal pu- public outreach of of our willingness to protect all of God's children from any kind of harm. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful day. And that was one of my most hope-filled moments uh, as I continue to recover from my own abuse. Sister Mary Paul. I love the, the imagery that you provided there with her just with open arms really saying we She was fantastic. Protectors. I hope she's listening. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so is there anything else uh, you'd like to share with us today? Well, I have all sorts of things that I'd like to share. I, I'd, like, I'd like your listeners to have a, a, an open mind. I'd also like to share one final story. It's a personal story. It's about my son, who was an altar server at our parish. And I, of course, was an altar server when I was sexually abused by our priest. And so my experience of altar serving was not, is not the same as what my son is experiencing. Mm-hmm. And so I, here is a moment, of course, when I see my son or saw my son on the altar as an altar server, of course I would think about myself when I was his age. You know what? He looks like me. And he acts like me. It was a little goofy, you know, fifth grade and sixth grade boy, just like we all are. And that's fine. But here's a moment where it's not about me. It's about my son, and it's about the faith, and it's about passing on the faith. And so this is my story. Here at our parish at St. Mary of the Woods, there's a, a wonderful tradition of when it's some, some new altar server's first mass— Mm-hmm. We all meet in the back, and we congratulate that altar server on their first mass. And so it was great. So I got to watch this, and I stepped away, and I saw my son Michael come out, and there was one of our older parishioners who, who's been there forever, and she may have started this tradition. She came up to my son, and I got to witness this. And so this is my story. She thanked him for altar serving. And, and she said, how did you feel? And he said, I liked it. She said, thank you so much. I liked it too. And you helped me. This older lady said to my son, you helped me pray today. And she thanked him. Wow. And I witnessed that. And that is how we pass on our faith. Mm-hmm. And, and that is not something that's about me or any kind of thing that happened to me when I was a boy. That is a pure God, God's grace-filled moment between an older parishioner and a younger parishioner um, working to pray together in our faith community. That's one of my models, or that's what I think of when I think about my parish. And that's what I think about when I, how, I, how I remain Catholic, even given my story of childhood sexual abuse. And so, again, I, it's, it's all deeply personal. And why we all remain Catholic is deeply personal, mm-hmm. but I'm glad to share my personal stories with you, and and I'm open for any questions or anything that you would would like. Great. Well, again, thank you so much okay. for sharing all of your okay. stories with us as well. Um, just a, a couple of quick things. If if someone wanted to find out more information about the Healing Voices, where would sure. they go? And the same thing for uh, Prevent Child Abuse. Sure. Thank you, Melanie. Yes. Uh, the Healing Voices is a wonderful e-magazine, uh, which you can find on the Internet. You just Google uh, healingvoicesmagazine.com, mm-hmm. and there's, there's over 300 
articles now over the course of four oh, wow. years uh, written by uh, survivors of childhood abuse and others who are concerned with healing from these wounds. Mm-hmm. There's over 300 articles. I know your listeners can find something that might might help them heal or reconcile from these wounds of abuse. Mm-hmm. And then uh, secondly, yes, uh, for Prevent Child Abuse Illinois, uh, which I am involved in at the state level, mm-hmm. it's, it's preventchildabuseillinois.com, mm-hmm. and you can find that on the Internet. Uh, we have a statewide conference. We have free literature that we pass mm-hmm. out, to, uh, and we help with uh, trainings all throughout the state. And we can be a vital resource to anybody, any after-school program, any athletic program. These are certified uh, personnel who can train your staff on how to protect children from harm. Mm-hmm. That's great. And every state so, has its own chapter, correct? correct? Yes, in all 50 states. Wonderful. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you again, Mike. We appreciate you um, learning learning a little bit more from you and for you taking the time to, to share thank with us a little bit more today. Um, and Thank you, you left us the website so we know how to, to reach out to you as Good. well if anybody has anything additional they'd like to share with you. So Thank you, Thank Melanie. you so much, Mike, and uh, thank you to everyone listening. Until next time. There we go. Okay.